Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our A Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 100 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. Whenever I think of 100 and measuring things, I always go back to the funny ways human beings are about measuring things, time, amounts, weights, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever. We have all these different ways that we commemorate things. And as a longtime elementary school teacher, day 100 of the school year was always a big day. You were supposed to bring in 100 of something. So it was a time to think about what you collected. So kids brought in 100 pennies or 100 rocks or just all the different things that you could have 100 of. And we made a big deal of counting and day 100 of school. It was just this big thing. Episode 100. I think I'm happiest about it mostly because I have such a history of starting things and then not completing them. A series of blog posts, like 30 days of thanks. And I get 13 or 14 days in and I just stop. You know, I've done this sort of thing over and over and over again, started things and never completed them, set up a goal, made a plan and never followed through. And I hold myself to this. I'm hard on myself sometimes when I talk about these things. So 100 episodes, that's a lot of time <laughs> for me to sit in this little room or in the downstairs room or at the McGregor's house and, I, and record podcast episodes. Because I've sort of completed the majority of my life story in regards to how it relates to Molly's death, and a lot of my crazy decisions and triumphs and tragedies, the reinventing piece has, has been a challenge for me. Episode 100, at the suggestion of my online sort of mentor, therapist, mindset coach, Carolina, she thought that episode 100 should be about Molly and the foundation. The timing of this episode is just about right. This weekend, the 5th of August, is a 20th anniversary party of RB Productions, the theater company that once we settled our lawsuit and I was <laughs> given some cash, I made a big donation to RB Productions because I didn't want that theater company to disappear because it was such a life-changing experience for Gracie and Molly. That single step has created so much love and happiness in my life. So RB stands for Ryan Brown, and he was a high school senior when the theater company he was in went defunct. I think it was called Sandcastle Productions. He just didn't want to not have an opportunity for young people to do theater. And so he created, with the help of Clint Close and his parents, RB Productions. And it was one show a summer for a long time. And then they decided they would make it into theater camps where you signed up early and chose the play you wanted to be in. And you had auditions in May. And once you knew your part, you had a script and you took the script home and you read the script and memorized your lines. And so when you come together with five full days of camp to put together you know, a theatrical production, you're ready. And so instead of one play a summer, it's four or five plays per summer. And instead of one cast, it's five different theater weeks of casts. So way more kids can participate and be involved. And it just becomes a much bigger experience for the kids. This sort of coincides with the ending of this year's summer season. RB Productions is celebrating its 20th year in existence, and they're doing so with an event at the Bank of New Hampshire stage, which is affiliated with the Capital Center for the Arts. There will be speakers. I'm speaking at it. Lots and lots of RB alumni are sending in videos, recordings of speeches, and there's going to be some performances. It'll just be an amazingly wonderful time. I'm excited to be a part of it and honored. And it's not also a big surprise to me that 
it's the 20th anniversary of Molly being a person on the planet. She was born in 2003. So at the time that that group of people was putting together RB, Molly was growing in my belly and being born. Their first summer in existence was the same summer, 2003. So if Molly were here, she'd be 20. Those connections are more meaningful for me now because Molly's not here. As beautiful as it is, it can be difficult. A blog post I wrote a couple of weeks back talked about the weekend of the Bill Ludy Road Race and how I love the road race because it commemorates coach. And I love the plays that RB puts on because they make me think of Molly. But two people also passed away that weekend. So my whole weekend was spent around four people that are no longer here. And it was emotional and difficult. And podcast episodes like this are because I'm talking about somebody I love so much I can't describe it. And I miss with an ache that it, there are no words to describe the ache with which I miss Molly all the time but I also don't want her to be forgotten. So I can't put it in a box. I'm not one of those people that can erase somebody off my Facebook page and make up a false narrative to move on. Molly was here and I never want anyone to forget that she was here. So the Molly B Foundation is now finally a 501c3. I wanna transition now from a really homegrown foundation that collects clothing and does fundraisers and things at a small sort of local level into a foundation that will continue doing things long after I'm gone and long after Gracie's gone and long after Jack is gone. I have ways that this can continue post Barb, but I want it to be a foundation that does huge things and provides amazing services for kids. I have to make some big changes. Change is not always easy for me, especially when I'm the one that has to make the change. Carolina has been masterful at helping me tie in the healing process in my life from all that I've gone through with utilizing it to serve Molly's interests better, to serve the foundation better, to be a spokesperson for her. She gives me little practical tips as well. Like I'm a sucker for giving away money. So the fact that I've just said this means don't ask me for money because I'm not giving it to you. And I say that sort of lovingly, but I have a very hard time saying no to people. And Carolina was wonderful in saying, when somebody asks you for something, simply say, is this more important to me giving the money here than putting the money towards something in the Molly B Foundation that might help a child? So if I had to go back and forth on who's more important, that answer might not always be the same. It might be the child is more important most of the time. It might not be. But she's helping me focus and rein in my desire to improve myself by making it about the Molly B Foundation. So it's super, super helpful. So we're the 501c3 now. So I can do things like participate in fundraisers that have to do with a casino at at a former dog park in New Hampshire. They're throughout New Hampshire. And the way that betting and gambling is allowed in New Hampshire is that those facilities have to donate over half of their proceeds every single night to a nonprofit. So they can keep half, but they have to give half away. To me, that's using gambling money in a very positive way. You're helping nonprofit. We have to be a 501c3 to benefit from those. And those can be big payouts. So those kinds of fundraisers become available to me. I can now do fundraising on my website that isn't limited to the state of New Hampshire. So I can have, be a member of the Molly B Foundation. I can have donate here. I can provide and sell merch on the website now. I'm finally to a point now where the only thing holding me back from growing this foundation is me. And so that needs to stop. So I talked a lot, I think in blogs and in in some of my lives, and maybe even in my last episode about the fact that I don't have any big giant events to plan coming up other than the book launch which is all tied into Molly, I'm open. So the past couple of weeks since, well, the past week since the Bill Ludi race, I have just spent parts of every day doing housekeeping and not just my house, but housekeeping like paperwork housekeeping, catching up on things, putting together a schedule that's much more 
realistic and manageable, continuing to focus on my health. I've been doing all of these things because I need to be ever present and ready to hit the ground running with the Molly B Foundation. How does that look right now? <laughs> like everything looks for me. I don't know. I'm all over the place. My own biggest enemy sometimes in these things, because I still have a hard time thinking I have any self-worth and value. I've been very willing to listen to people tell me that I don't have value. I had this wonderful experience last night. As I record this, it's July 23rd. So a belated birthday to my sister-in-law, Bobby, and to Bob 70. Happy birthday, guys. I was at Into the Woods, the RB production for that week. And this couple came up and their son played Tom Thumb. His name is Lincoln. He was phenomenal. He is a little natural on the stage. They both just thanked me. Her husband as well thanked me for the podcast and the blogs and sharing things like I do. And, you know, I hear from women a lot and I just feel sometimes like my audience is potentially driven towards women and geared towards women, mothers and that sort of thing. But he was so kind and just thanked me for talking about the things I talk about and that he goes, I hope you know the service you're providing people. And I don't always feel that way. Sometimes I just feel inadequate. I listen to other podcasts and I think I could be so much better. And, you know, I compare, compare, compare myself to other people all the time. And this is the first thing I would tell somebody I was giving advice to not to do. <laughs> I am me. That's it. I'm trying to strap on my self-confidence gear and go into August, the month of August. So I've talked about July being the month of Barb. August is going to be the month of the Molly B Foundation and the month of Motherland. I'm going to talk a little bit about Molly and how she relates to that. So it's pretty common knowledge. I've shared it a lot that I hired a ghostwriter who's not invisible at all, Virginia McGregor, to write the memoir for me. And what's wonderful about Virginia is as an author and really as a person, she functions with no ego. I mean, she just functions in such incredible ways as a creative. She writes amazing books. Y'all need to read her books. I've said that before. And she has an uncanny ability to write about something she's never experienced as if she's experienced it. And I do believe in all of my believing of the universe guiding us where we need to be and all that Virginia was put into my life for a very specific reason that she was supposed to write this story because quite honestly, it's not something I would have been able to do myself. I'm not there. I'm hardly there in doing the tasks I have to do with her, let alone doing this myself. But it has been the most amazing process. I've met amazing people. Another local author in Concord named Margaret Porter, she writes historical fiction and her books are wonderful, totally different than Virginia's books, like not the same at all. But both of them have the ability to draw you into their characters as if you were their character, which I love in a book. I want to feel like I'm part of the story. And that's really what I wanted Motherland to be before I even knew it was going to be called Motherland, that the reader, even if they had never lost a child or experienced anything that I share in the book, that they would feel like they were a piece of the story, that they could relate and put themselves into it. One of the key things about my memories of Molly is how much she was like me. And one of my biggest pieces that I'm angry about is I don't get to see her grow up and how she would have managed the meanness of me, the barbness of Molly. She was sort of getting into running and she used to have this horrible stride. As she got older and older, her stride smoothed out. She looked beautiful running around the track. You know, she had this long, slender build, which was just ideal for running. And so, and she had thought that she would run cross country and track when she got to high school, that she loved dance but that she knew that her strength was in the theater and that dance would support theater and that she thought running would be a good thing to help both of those things. So, you know, I'm angry. I never got to see all that. She only got to live for 13 years and I was completely unprepared for her death. And as you all know, from listening to 99 episodes ahead of this one, I have a ton of self-blame and, and a ton of regret around specifically the months leading up to her death. I was just so absent from her and so disconnected. And I, and I have such 
profound sadness about that. And she died at 13. And so for a long time, 13 was my lucky number long before Molly. And so now 13 takes on this whole new meaning in my life around so many different things. 13 years isn't long enough to be alive. I look at her friends, I look at Derek and seeing him on Broadway. And I look at Meg Nyan and all the things she's doing with her competitive dance team. And, and I see these adults, these young adults and Molly ages in my head with them because she'll always be the same as them. But the more I look at her pictures and listen to her voice on voicemail, I have, I have so many recordings of her voice. She sounds so young now and it, and it breaks my heart because, because she never got to grow up. And so by writing about this process and as much of the medical pieces I could write about and as much of the, all the details around it, Kenny's and my struggles and our family struggles and Roy and Doug and all of the people involved in the circumstances around her death. The further I walk the path, the easier these things are to assimilate. And I see now that once Motherland is released and out there and being read by people, that I've opened a door for myself to continue this journey. And I'm excited about that. So I want to talk a little bit today about why we call it Motherland and how Molly's story fits into the narrative. And Virginia came up with a name, which I think this is what I mean. She has such intuition around things like this. When we needed edits in the book, if it was a factual edit, I would give her the facts and she could share it in a way that sounds like I was sharing it. She's amazing. When you think of motherland, or you think of the word land behind anything, you think of expanse. You think of, at least for me, I think of when I think of land, like when I think of motherland, I think of like the Midwest and the West and Montana and the big sky and like land as far as the eye can see. You can't see anything except this wide open, vast expanse. And in that vast expanse, anything is possible. There could be trees, there could be mountains, there could be a river, there could be a butte, there could be a desert. This is a very geographical comparison of this title, but motherland to me takes the word mother and makes it big and makes it open to a variety of descriptors. And we all have a picture. When I say mother, we all think of different things. I think of my own mother. I think of the word mother. I think of me trying to be a good mother. You know, all these things come into my head. As you're listening to me say the word mother, you're all having your own thoughts about what that means. Motherland, first of all, doesn't focus on the fact that the book is about a dead child, two dead children, really, when you think of baby Gordy. It doesn't focus on any of that. Motherland creates a narrative that has room for everything that goes into being a mother. So my motherhood journey, you know, started with a tragic abortion in high school that made me want to kill myself, continued to my first pregnancy, ending at 25 weeks because the baby had a heart defect and couldn't survive any longer. My birth with Gracie and having every test available because we were concerned that I would have another baby with a heart defect. Then having Molly and turning down all of those tests. And her tumor was a fetal, fetal cell tumor, which means had I done all the testing with Molly that I did with Gracie, we might've even seen the tumor before she was born or the potential for one. And then Jack and having a baby at 57. So I have this huge expanse of time where I'm a mother and I of my four children that made my belly big. One never got to be alive here on earth, except inside of me. One was alive here for 13 years and <laughs> Gracie's been here 22 years and Jack too. So just my own experience as a mother, motherland is an apt title because they're not all the same. I didn't have my girl and then my boy and then my girl and then my boy. 
or I didn't have my two girls and my two boys. You know, it, it didn't make a lot of sense, right? It wasn't methodical like so many families are. We're going to have three and this is what we'll do. You know, lots and lots of families are set up that way and their, and their plans are followed and they come out just right. While I planned both Gracie and Molly and Jack, <laughs> the only baby I didn't plan was baby Gordy, but nothing has come out the way I thought that it would. My journey as a mother is not what I would have predicted for myself when I was, you know, 35 and heading into it all. In the book, when you read the book, I talk about all of it. Baby Gordy's in the book. Gracie and Molly are in the book. The whole experience of losing Molly is in the book. What life was like for me after losing Molly is in the book. And then Jack is in the book. It really does bookend. Molly and Jack bookend the story. And of course, Gracie and Gordy play pivotal roles as well. I think the biggest thing I hope to get out of this experience, sharing the book, one is I wanted to always be a longtime financial support for the Molly B Foundation. I won't take money from this book. All of the money from this book will go into the Molly B Foundation. So I'm hoping it's a book that people like and suggest and continues to sell copies over the years. That would be my biggest hope. I'm not married into a publishing company that will get a chunk of the profits. Once it's published and all of this, I have complete control over that, which makes me happy because I don't know, it just, I don't like after going through a lawsuit, which I'm not allowed to talk about in the book, I don't like people telling me what to do and feeling like I have no control. And child loss and medical malpractice are two areas that completely take away any sense of control you might have. So over the next several weeks, Virginia and I will continue to do visual edits, do the final edits of words that might need to happen. There's a process that you have people to read your book and authors, and they give comments about the book. So I've made a decision to, to choose local authors. I'm a local author. That's how I feel. People that know me that might not know the details of the story, I, I love their thoughts because I think knowing me, they can see how I've told the story and they can gauge its authenticity better than someone who doesn't know me. And I've gotten amazing feedback from a former writer at The Monitor. This makes me happy. And I'm leaving their name secret right now. Once I have it all squared away and what the book looks like, I'll share those names. It's been an amazing process for me and an amazing growth process. And it's been painful. Virginia and I were sitting at Gibson's doing some editing and a, a group came up to us and asked some questions and we said what we were doing. And they were so open, just open and curious and good for you. And is it painful? Asked all these questions. About an hour later, another woman came up and we started sort of having the same conversation and she shut it right off. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then turned to Virginia and just started a conversation. And it was clear it just wasn't comfortable for her. There is nothing wrong with that at all. We have to be allowed to have the feelings that we have and to feel the way that we feel. What I'm also hoping this book does is to give people permission to know that however they feel, however they've reacted, whatever they have or have not done in the wake of child loss or whatever their tragedy might be, that there's no right or wrong to it. I saw a, a post, I'm going to read it. It was on Facebook. It was actually my auntie Sheila. Another shout out for you, Sheila. And there's so many things, politics are so divisive, right? I mean, just the IVF process is divisive. And I'll talk about that in my next episode. But child loss is just one of those, you know, there's certain generations and types of people that tell you to put it away and move on. There are religious beliefs that think if you talk about somebody, you're interrupting their ability to succeed on the other side. There are other religious beliefs that say the minute you stop talking about them, they disappear. You know, if I truly listened to everything I was told, I wouldn't know what to do. I hope that my book gives permission for people to, to trust their instinct and their gut and to do what feels right for them. It is not my place to tell anyone how to recover from a loss of a child. I don't always understand how people do it. They might not understand how I do it. And that's, that's the nature of loss. 
this is a, a post that doesn't necessarily have to do with child loss, but if you've gone through any experience that separates you, that makes you the, oh no, here she comes person, this is relevant. So it says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. This is like one of the most truest statements ever. I had a really, really good friend growing up. I have someone in my life now. And these two people are both gay and come from families that are rigid in their religious beliefs and completely disagree with their lifestyles. The beautiful thing about both of these parents is that they have not let it interfere with their relationship as mother and daughter or mother and son or father and daughter and father and son. They've been able as parents to put that aside and to love their children with big hearts. Does it mean they agree with their lifestyle? No, but they don't have to stop loving their child because they aren't the way they think they should be. That's the beauty of children. They're going to do what they do, right? I love the first part of that. And then the second part, the compromising. I feel very, very tricky sometimes in a couple of strong political movements right now that if I voice my support for one faction of society that I've, I've had this happen to me, and I'll just be honest about it. If I support women's athletics in any sort of fierce way, I'm immediately assumed to be anti-trans, which I am absolutely not. I am a firm believer that it's a process and that any society that's embracing new ways of thinking is going to have a growth period. But I should be able to support women and support the trans movement equally. I can't disappear one for the other. No one can disappear anything for the other. And so this can be tricky. So I looked at this and I thought how beautiful it was in terms of me and in terms of being the mother with a dead child and in terms of honoring Molly the way that I honor her, in terms of honoring Rachel and her family and the fact that Kenny has Rachel's kidney, the fact that I had a baby through IVF. There are religious factions and there are politicians nationwide that feel they have opinions on all of these things. It's scary sometimes to be a woman right now. What I love is that really what we're supposed to do is love one another, right? I don't need people to understand how I cope with Molly's death. I don't need people to not be judgmental about my addictive issues after her death. Plenty of people judge me. They can go right ahead. If it makes them feel better about themselves to cut me down, I can't do anything about that. It's none of my business, right? I do feel that what I need the most from people is just acceptance. Okay, Barbara, I'm just here to sit with you as you do things the way you do them. I saw a post online the other day. It was a child loss webpage. Somebody said, oh, I found this picture, but I didn't want to share it with you because I didn't want to make you sad. And it was a picture of their child that had died. And I said, we're already sad. <laughs> Pictures we haven't seen of our children make us happy. We know that they're not forgotten. You can't make us more sad. And the, the person messaged me and they were a bit put off by what I said. And I said, well, good. I'm glad you're a bit put off because we need to change this narrative. I'm never going to mind people talking about Molly because it warms my heart. It makes me realize that somebody else is thinking about Molly and, and that's helpful to me. And I think it's why I'm so focused on the foundation now that the foundation has to be my major focus. I can record an episode and write a blog. It takes me about three total hours a week. I need to spend the other 37 hours focusing on the Molly B foundation. The reason I need to do that is because that will keep people talking about Molly and remembering Molly and thinking about Molly, the Molly that they'll come to know, which is a Molly they never met. And that's perfectly fine. 
I remember a long while ago when the Molly B shirts were first made, I was driving in my car and I saw someone that I didn't know walking up the street wearing one. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this morning that person, maybe they didn't even decide to wear it, but they picked up a shirt and they saw it and they put it on. And so even if they weren't actively thinking about Molly, they were looking at her. They were looking at all I have left of her here is this moniker right here behind me, hashtag heart Molly B. It's on all the t-shirts. It made me so happy. It made me utterly, utterly happy. A couple of weeks ago, I was sat in my car and I'm like, Molly, show me that you're here. Molly, show me you're here. I need you right now. And I turned left onto Main Street. There was a car in front of me with this bumper sticker that I'm pointing to. I've never seen that car. I didn't know who was driving it. And the Molly B bumper sticker was on their car. Oh my God. These things are huge, 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 huge. So uh, some of my motivation around the foundation is that as well. Another thing I want to talk about on this episode that relates to Molly and is timely right now is a guy named John Graffair. So I wrote a blog post about him. It's the same one I wrote about the Bill Ludy Road Race weekend. He owned a business called A Company Video. He recorded things. He was a filmmaker. He was just this incredible human being, very, very humble. He had a bit of a flat affect. I mean, he would laugh and everything, but he could stay very emotionally detached when he was having emotional discussions. He had such an open mind and was so willing to listen and process what he heard. And he was the one that made the video at the end of the Molly B, the musical, made this big slide presentation to wrap up her musical. And he created it for me. And, and I spent the entire you know, three days finding every picture I could find so he could create a slideshow. And I wanted him to use them all. And he's like, I can't use all these. It will be a half an hour slideshow. I'm like, fine, it can be a half an hour slideshow. And he was just concerned people wouldn't want to watch that long. The biggest complaint I got was that it ended too quickly, <laughs> but I suppose that's a better complaint. He's just this wonderful human being. And, and he's a Molly connection to me because he spent that sunny weekend in May creating this beautiful piece of Molly B the Musical and he recorded it. And anytime I needed more DVDs, I could email him and he'd have them ready for me. That's my big panic now. Where's the digital piece that will make more Molly B DVDs for me. I don't want to, I don't want to lose the ability to have them. So his death was profound for me. I went to his funeral. It was beautiful. His older brother and his youngest daughter told unbelievably wonderful, eloquent, articulate stories about him that just rounded out my memory of him. And he's another connection to Molly that's disappeared. And that, that makes me sad. It hurts me just because he's somebody that is a piece of her story that's no longer here. One less person who remembered that particular episode. He never met Molly personally, I don't believe, but he videotaped every play that she was in and every dance recital she was in because he does Conquer Dance Academy and he did all of the theater, RB, PEG, Children's Theater Project. He did them all. And so he's gone. He doesn't do that anymore. It's not his eye behind the camera anymore. Heart-wrenching for me. Another huge motivator for me to really focus on the Molly B Foundation. What do I need from you all, my listeners? Ideas, 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 ideas. I have a wonderful board of people. I will say most of my board members are incredibly busy. Now, having said that, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cut them off at the knees right now. I really wanna get going. I really wanna get going and organize events that bring people together, that are fun, that are unifying, that generate cash, not by donations necessarily, but by participation. And so I need help with this. I am a wonderful event organizer. I can organize track camp and get kids to come. I'm not good at the paperwork. I need help. I need help with suggestions and ideas. I know that golf tournaments are big. Am I a golfer? No, there is a golf ball in Molly's casket with her, but that's because her dad loves golf. So maybe a golf tournament works because it connects to Kenny and Kenny's family. I don't know. 
I know I've talked today on my Facebook Live about wanting to reinstitute the Flower Day 5K. This was a gift that my cross-country team in 2002 gave me. I was pregnant with Molly in the fall of 2002. The first ever Flower Day race, Molly was 25 days old. <laughs> it was a very stressful day. And it took place at White's Park. And the alumni race was at White's Park. And that was something Coach Ludi started. This would be a wonderful event to bring people together that could be a fundraiser for the Molly B Foundation. I have ideas. I have things that I could do, but I need somebody that, that is a big thinker. If you're a big thinker and you have ideas that you think might work, I am just totally open. I want the merchandise piece to get bigger. I don't like relying on other people, I guess, because now I'm on their time frame. I don't want to become a t-shirt maker. However, creating merchandise isn't all that difficult. I think Kenny and I are going to create a Molly B Foundation office in our barn. If you have a dedicated room that's there for that, you have a place to go and do it. And, and all of the pieces and parts of the foundation aren't on my kitchen table and in the office and everywhere else. They're in one place, right? You go there, you separate. This is where I'm at. I'm coming up on my two-year anniversary of this podcast. I think my book launch will be right around that. These are the things that are in the forefront right now. I love community and having other people be a part of what I do. It's not just me. I might be the, if you build it, they will come phenomenon, but always there's a host of people behind every great thing that make it work. If you want to be a part of any piece of the Molly B Foundation, I'm really at the ground floor right now and looking for all the support and help I get. I will say one, one thing I really would love to do, and I think being a part of the RB 20 year anniversary celebration will help is I would love to have a yearly show, Molly B the musical, and have it as an opportunity for local and you know, regional dancers and singers and actors and poets to come and have a chance to perform on a beautiful stage in downtown Concord. I want this episode to really focus on the fact that the Molly B Foundation is an official 501c3 nonprofit organization. And as such, I'm ready for it to take off. Over the next month, the theme of my podcast will be motherland. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of things. Next episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about the IVF process and Jack. I've listened to a couple of podcasts now on that. And boy, have I learned a lot about the history. I'm going to have Jen, my functional nutrition coach. I'm going to have her on as a guest to talk about her life journey and the trials and tribulations that brought her to where she is now and how amazing what she is providing for me has been. You know, we ran into each other at a yoga class and here I am, you know, 23 days into really, truly life-changing transformation for me. Taking care of my body, which will help me take care of my mind. I have a two-year-old and I'm turning 60. So I have to be healthy, right? I have to be the best version of me I can be for Jack. I'm going to have some CrossFit and fitness. I have a couple of women that I'm working with that are in their late 50s, early 60s and talking about what it's like to be a woman who's aging. I'm Jack's mother and I'm like post-menopausal and I'm nursing him. What are we talking about here? So all of the episodes coming up will be a bit Barb-centric, but not about Barb, more about motherland, existing in motherland. I'll talk again about losing baby Gordy and, and what some of those experiences are like and some of the groups that exist for women that have had miscarriages and lost babies late in pregnancy or had stillbirths. Talk about an invisible, invisible place to grieve. All of these things exist in the wonderful, wonderful country that is motherland. And that's where my focus will be. So I just look to the side because it's beautiful and sunny outside. I want to get back outside and sit in the sun with Gracie. Have a wonderful day. Be good to yourself. Be good to yourself in all the ways that you can. I'm 23 days into being better to myself physically than I've been ever, I think, in my life. Be good to someone else once you've been good to yourself. Be kind. 
use gentle words, accept the people that you disagree with, accept that you don't understand them and love them anyway. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.